As I said before we sang Psalm 96, that is our preaching passage this morning. So if you turn there in your pew Bibles to Psalm 96, we're going to focus on this um, entire psalm this morning. As we think about God's uh, particular call for His people uh, and all the nations, in fact, to, to sing, to, to lift their voices, uh, not just to declare His praise, but to sing God's praise. Um, Psalm 96. The inspired psalmist writes, O oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. Keep your thumb there in Psalm 96. We're going to look at a few other passages this morning. Well, it won't come as much of a surprise to those of you who know me well, um, but, but singing is one of the greatest pleasures of my life. Uh, I love to sing, and uh, that's partly because I, I grew up in a home uh, where good singing and an excellent song was enjoyed uh, pretty much on a daily basis. Uh, I, I belonged growing up to uh, uh, several choral groups. I sang in high school. I sang in, in college. Uh, I continue to enjoy singing here for worship. I enjoy choosing songs for worship. That's one of the great blessings I enjoy as a minister. Um, singing is an important part of my life. I, I couldn't imagine my life without singing. Um, and some of you have a same, my same love for singing, but I don't assume this morning that you all do. Uh, it's entirely possible that, that a good portion of you here this morning don't share my love uh, for singing. Maybe you're the kind of person who, who comes to worship and you sort of put up with the singing. Uh, you, you, you patiently endure uh, the singing of psalms and hymns until we get to what you really came here for, uh, the message, uh, the sermon. Maybe singing frightens you. Uh, the thought of, of projecting your voice out into the sanctuary where others can hear you, maybe that's a very scary thought for some of you. And perhaps for others, singing simply bores you. Singing hasn't been a part of your life up till now. It still isn't, and it just doesn't interest you all that much. You're the ambivalent man when it comes to singing in church. Well, that raises some good questions. Why does God want His people to sing? 
Why is it so important to him that, that we worship him through song? Why, when we come to worship, can't we just pray and listen to good preaching? Why are we called to sing? Well, with most questions, there's a short answer and there's a longer answer. The longer answer is my sermon this morning. It's not too long, though. Don't worry. The shorter answer is this, that the God of the Bible, the God who reveals Himself to us in His Word, is a God who delights in singing. He's a God who made us in His image, and He made us with the unique ability to sing. And we read something beautiful. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, that our God is a God who Himself exalts over His people with loud singing. So you see, it really isn't an option for us as Christians uh, to sing. It's a command. And that command to sing to God, to, to sing His praises, is a command that's repeated over 400 times in the entire Bible. Certainly, we find that command quite often in the Psalms because these were geared for Israel's worship and our worship, but we find it elsewhere in the Old Testament. We also find it in the New Testament. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church on no less than two, two occasions and said, uh, you are to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs uh, to one another and out of your hearts to God when you gather for worship. Singing is a necessary part of the worship that pleases God, that's the short answer. Well, Psalm 96 helps us develop a longer answer, a fuller answer to that question. Why must we praise God through singing? And I've done something a bit differently in the bulletin this morning. I've given you sermon points, but in the way of fill in the blanks, and hopefully that will help you follow along, uh, perhaps get a bit more out of the sermon this morning. Um, Three things I want us to think about from this passage as to why we sing. Why is, why is it meaningful? Why is it necessary for us to sing in worship? And the first is this, that when we sing together, we rehearse the gospel. When we sing, we, we rehearse, we remember, we recollect the gospel. The psalmist here in, in Psalm 96, he begins by, by summoning the congregation of Israel to bless the Lord in song. Why? Because of the great salvation that he has earned and accomplished for his people. Look with me at the first couple of verses here. He says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Psalm 96 is an anthem of praise to the Lord from the mouths of His people, those whom He has made His privileged covenant community by acting in a saving way on their behalf. And indeed, all of Israel had tasted. They'd seen the covenant goodness, the faithfulness of God on, on their behalf. And that's why now in song, they are recounting, they are rehearsing this glorious salvation. You notice here in the first verse that the psalm writer beckons the congregation of Israel to, to sing a new song. And I hate to disappoint some of you, but this is not a proof text 
to support the idea that we should ditch our psalms and our hymns and sing only contemporary praise songs. That is not the point of this psalm when it calls us to sing a new song to the Lord. No, whenever God called His people to sing a new song, what was He doing? He was calling them to utter a fresh outburst of praise because of a new way that the Lord had come to act on behalf of His people. And it's interesting to notice, maybe you noticed it as well, that that most of this psalm is recorded earlier in the Bible. Most of Psalm 96 is recorded earlier as, as the words of King David in 1 Chronicles 16 when the Ark of the Covenant is moved to its final resting place in Jerusalem. And you may remember some of the events leading up to that event. You remember that the Ark had been captured by the Philistines. And that when finally it came back into the hands of the Israelites, David and and others tried to bring it into Jerusalem, but they hadn't consulted the will of God for how how that ark should be transported, and they took it on an oxen cart. And when the oxen stumbled, Uzzah put his hand out to steady the ark, and you remember what happened. Death by worship. Death by false worship. And David was greatly concerned. He wondered if the ark would ever come back to Jerusalem. But now, finally, after consulting God's Word, he and all of Israel are rejoicing. They're singing a new song to the Lord because he has enabled them to defeat the Philistines. They finally built the glorious temple of the Lord, and now finally the ark of God's presence is making its way into Jerusalem. David danced before the face of God because of this new thing that God had done for him and the people of Israel. Again, the blessed presence, the, the, the countenance of God, the shining face of God was now once again in the midst of the people of Israel. And so they sang a new song. And whenever Israel sang a new song, they were really looking forward to an even greater day than the one they were experiencing. They were looking forward to the great day of the Lord's coming in a new and a special way in the person of the Savior, the Messiah, the the King of Israel, who would come to judge the nations, who would dwell intimately and eternally with His people. And so Israel's singing was a way of, of remembering, recounting, rehearsing God's marvelous deeds in the past, to be sure. But their singing was a way of anticipating this great salvation in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, who is their Savior and our Savior. You see, singing singing doesn't undermine the preaching of the gospel. It undergirds it. It underscores it. Of course, I'm aware that there are churches today that, that promote singing over the preaching of the gospel. You attend a church like this, and you'll spend the first 45 minutes to an hour singing songs and before the Bible is even cracked open. And there's an imbalance there. That's a wrong way to worship. But singing and preaching of, uh, the preaching of the Word are not naturally in conflict with one another. God gave us music. He gave us singing to serve the Word, to, to help us hide that Word in our hearts. One writer says, music is a powerful gift from God that that complements, it supports, it deepens the impact 
of the words we sing. When we sing together in worship the meaning of Scripture with a meaningful rhythm, with an appropriate speed or meter for the words that we're singing, when we sing songs in a, in a helpful rhyme, what does that do? It helps us remember the gospel. It helps us remember what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. helps bring it to our minds so that we can enjoy the assurance of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And so how valuable it was for us to sing this morning. Sing to the Lord, sing His praise, all you peoples. New be your song as new honors you pay. Sing of His majesty, bless Him forever. Show His salvation from day to day. What a wonderful way for us to recount the goodness and faithfulness of God and commit those words of the Psalms to our minds. After the sermon, we're going to sing this hymn. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet your tribute bring. We're going to sing about what Christ has done for us. We sing, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, evermore his praises sing. What a beautiful, meaningful way God has given to us to recollect, to rehearse the gospel, and also to remember our duty as God's people to follow his instructions, to follow his word. There's an interesting event recorded for us in Deuteronomy chapter 31. The people of Israel are getting ready to, to enter the promised land, to cross over the treacherous Jordan River and to take over that land that God had promised to them. And before they do, God wants to remind them of their duty before Him. And He, he tells Moses to do something very interesting. He says, Moses, I want you to write a song and I want you to teach it to the people of Israel. We read in Deuteronomy 31, beginning at verse 19, he says to Moses, Now therefore write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give their fathers... And they have eaten and are full and grow fat. They will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know that what they are inclined to do even today, before I brought them into the land that I swore to give. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel, chapter 32, uh, are the, the, the words of that song. You see, singing God's law, singing the stipulations of the covenant was another way for the people of Israel to attach God's Word to the frontlets of their eyes so that they would not forget their covenant responsibility. Well, God has given us singing as an effective way for His Word his commands to dwell in our lives in an even more rich way. And that's why one theologian calls church singing take-home theology. Take-home theology. Because a, a brief three-minute song contains rich summaries of our glorious salvation in Jesus Christ. Singing, even a short song like that, helps us rehearse the gospel, helps us to embrace the call to renewed and obedient living. 
But we spent most of our time on that this morning. But two other points we notice from Psalm 96. When we sing, secondly, we declare God's greatness to the world. When we sing in worship, we declare God's greatness to the world. If someone were to ask you, have you ever been involved in something that has changed the world? You ever been involved in something that has had an impact upon the whole earth? I think most of us would probably laugh and say, absolutely not. Uh, We generally think of ourselves as pretty small potatoes. We think of our lives as fairly ordinary, don't we? Uh, None of us have held public office. None of us are celebrities. We don't have a major clothing line or or a, a car company named after us. For most of us, our our sphere of influence is pretty small. Home, church, work, school. That's about it. But have you ever thought about the fact that when you worship the Lord, you're involved in something that is profoundly meaningful, not just for yourself, but for the entire world? You notice here in Psalm 96 that While the call to worship begins in Jerusalem, it starts in the church, it quickly goes out to all the earth. Look with me at verses 3 and following. God says to His people, declare my glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, the gods of the people. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. What's the call? Verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering. Come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Psalm 96, perhaps you know, is is part of a larger grouping of psalms known as the enthronement psalms. And why do they bear that name? They bear that name because they speak about and they look forward to the ultimate reign of God on earth, a reign that culminates in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And God calls us to sing about that kingdom reign every Lord's day. We're to sing about the excellencies of God, His marvelous works of salvation, not just in Israel, not just in the church, but among all the nations of the earth. You see, ultimately, His works of power were never meant for the church alone. Such great deeds are meant to be remembered and recounted and celebrated throughout the entire world. And so our calling as Christians is to to declare, to to sing about the fame of the Lord. We are to declare to all of those around us that the Lord reigns, that the the gods, the idols of the nations, their materialism, their worldliness, their, their political power are worthless, vain, and empty idols. When we sing, we are are calling unbelievers as well to lay down their pride and come trembling before the Lord to offer a sacrifice of praise. We are declaring to the earth 
that God has put His Son on the throne. He holds all things together. And He's coming one day soon in judgment. I remember with fondness the time that we spent as a congregation worshiping outdoors. <laughs> Maybe you remember it with less fondness. You remember, it was, you remember it was that hot summer we had to stay outdoors and worship. But I enjoyed that to an extent because of the fact that our prayers and our songs and our preaching made its way across the parking lot, over the walls of our neighbors and into their backyards. It was my prayer during that time that the Lord would use those circumstances to allow us to declare to the world that they must kiss the Son and submit to Him. It's still my prayer, it's my prayer, and I hope it's your prayer as well, that, that our watching world would see us as we gather our families for worship on Sunday morning and evening. That our world would see us as we drive into the parking lot to music that they'd be prompted to, to look at our live stream and perhaps visit us here and worship with us. It's my prayer that the declaration of our lives would be a song of praise to the Lord, that it would be a call to the nations to repent and submit themselves to the Son of God before the day of judgment comes. You see, in our worship, we are making a public declaration. We are calling the nations to join us in praising the Lord for His great and marvelous works. That's what we've been called to do when we sing in worship, to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We declare God's greatness to the nations. Finally, and very briefly, when we sing, we join the universal choir. When we sing, we join the universal choir. As I said earlier, God, God created us to sing. God made us with a unique ability to sing, and the psalmist says that we're not alone in that calling. We aren't the only members of God's creation that have been called to sing His praises. He says all of creation exists for the glory of God to testify about His greatness. Look at verses 11 through 13 with me. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it, let the field exalt and everything in it, then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Before the Lord, for He comes, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. All of creation, the psalmist says, large creatures, small creatures, short and tall creatures, Kids, you know the rest of the song. All creation is designed to sing God's praises, each in its own unique, special way. But what is creation singing about? What is creation singing about? I, I'm struck always by how this psalm ends. It's a psalm of joy. It's a psalm of exaltation and praise to the Lord. And then we read this, the trees sing for joy because God comes to judge the earth. Why do they sing in joy for the judgment of God? It's because the song of the trees, the song of creation, our song as well, is the song of the Savior. The song of the trees 
reminds us of the worldwide impact of our Savior's work because He has come to reverse the curse of Adam. We read in Scripture that Adam's sin brought death. It brought futility. It brought frustration, not just to our lives as human beings, but to all creation. So we read in Romans 8 that all creation groans for all things to be made new. Again, we read in Romans 8, beginning at verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Together with creation, we are groaning, we are crying out for Christ to return and make all things new. And when the Lord comes to judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness, on that great day, The sons of God, the elect, will be set apart unto salvation and the rest to eternal destruction. On that glorious day of Jesus' return, all of creation will breathe a collective sigh of relief. For then we will know and experience the joy of full renewal and restoration and redemption in Christ. And on that great day, once again, a new song will be sung sung by God's people, sung by all of creation, for then God will have acted once again to set all things right when He judges the wicked, when He vindicates, when He glorifies His church and exalts His name above all other names on that great and glorious day. When we sing in worship, we are joining in with that universal choir, We're joining with all of creation in our anticipation of, our hastening of that great and glorious day. Psalm 96 calls us to rediscover the meaningfulness, the profundity of singing in worship. For we do such marvelous things, we enjoy such marvelous blessings when we sing to the Lord in worship. We get to rehearse and recount the glorious salvation of Christ. We get to recount the gospel and commit it to our minds. When we sing, we we declare God's greatness, His marvelous works and His marvelous character to all the nations. And we get to take part in that glorious creation choir. And so with all of that in mind, dear brothers and sisters, sing, sing. Let's pray together. Our great and glorious God, we thank You for the tools and the instruments that You have given to us, our own voices uniquely crafted by You to be used for Your glory and praise. We thank You that as we sing together, we can remember Your wondrous deeds on our behalf, the the great things that You have done for us throughout all of redemptive history and the great things that are still to come on the day of Jesus Christ. We long for that day when we will sing a new song in light of the glorious new things that You have done to rescue us fully from all sin and from the destruction of the fall in our lives. May we now, in anticipation of that, join in with the heavenly choir and the choir of creation 
as we sing your praises and give Christ all the glory for who he is and what he has done on our behalf. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sing, I want to leave you with just a few, uh, three practical uh, items of advice on how, how can we make more of singing. Uh, as I said, some of us struggle uh, with singing. We, we think it's only for the, the professional, so to speak. Uh, but we can all learn to make more of singing and, and, and get better at singing and to appreciate it and enjoy it more in the context of worship. My first item of advice is this. Uh, join a group that sings. Join a group that sings. And I don't mean join the community choir necessarily. You may have to have greater credentials to do that sort of thing. Uh, but join a Bible study that regularly sings some psalms and hymns as part of their fellowship time. Um, if you are able, join the church choir. Uh, we aren't professionals. Uh, we hit a wrong note time and again. Uh, that's okay. Uh, but you can learn a lot about how to sing meaningfully and sing well by being a part of the church choir. Um, make it a practice at home to sing hymns, maybe after or before dinner. If you have someone who can plunk out the chords in, on the piano at home, learn to make singing a part of your regular devotional life at home. And then we have this little thing called Hymns and Hangout that happens every Sunday evening, uh, the first Sunday of the month. It's, our, it's our, primarily our high school group, some of our college and post-college individuals. Uh, but you're all welcome to join us. We sit around, we have good food, and we sing the songs of Zion a cappella together. Our young people are discovering their voices. They're discovering how to openly and joyfully praise the Lord their God. So join a group that sings. Second piece of advice is let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in song, not just on the Lord's Day, but throughout the week. Now, I'll be the first to admit that there are problems in the Christian music industry, but in the last 10, 20 years or so, there's been some progress made. We have some people like the Gettys, even some ministers from our own federation who are writing new psalms and hymns uh, with beautiful music, and the, the, the words are tremendously rich and biblical and beautiful. Uh, put, the, put that on in the car on your way to work. Uh, have it playing in the house for the kids to listen to. Learn how to appreciate uh, good, biblical, solid music so that you can commit that to memory and to heart and help yourself as you learn to sing in corporate worship. And then third, finally, make singing in worship a matter of prayer. We often call you to pray and prepare yourselves for the Lord's Supper and to prepare yourself for worship. Pray that the Lord would help you to sing on Sundays. Pray that He would help you to understand uh, why we sing what we sing in the way that we sing it. Uh, pray that He would open your mind so that you would receive and understand and appreciate the words that are sung here on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. But make it a matter of prayer so that you can make more of singing in your life. Well, let's sing together. Um, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. Number 239, we're going to sing all these stanzas as we stand to sing. The, the words are very familiar, but the tune might be uh, somewhat unfamiliar, although it is a gorgeous tune. Um, so whether or not you know it, I think you ought to appreciate it. Dorothy's going to play it through once, and then we'll sing all five stanzas there, number 239.
Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus, receive now the parting blessing of our God. The grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.